for joining us on the Practicology Podcast. This is our second Good News for You episode where we just share the simple gospel message that is at the heart of the Christian faith. And uh, just along with that, today, Matthew, we are discussing what could be described as the linchpin of the Christian faith, and that is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Yeah, a linchpin goes through an axle to keep the wheels on, if I understand it right. And if Jesus did not rise from the dead, the wheels come off the wagon of the Christian faith. The Bible readily acknowledges that. It says, if Christ has not been raised, then our proclamation is in vain, and so is your faith, 1 Corinthians 15, 44. So if someone could give you real evidence that Jesus Christ never rose again, if they could show you his bones and offer real proof that that was his body, Matthew, would you have to give up your faith? I would have to. There would be no gospel to believe. All right. So have you been to Jerusalem to see the empty tomb? Is, is that what sustains your faith today? Well, the tomb is empty, but no, I haven't been there. I'm sure that would be a touching experience, but I can honestly say my faith doesn't require me to visit the site. Believing the gospel, God's good news in Jesus Christ, doesn't require you seeing the empty tomb, but it is there nonetheless. Well, this is an astonishing claim of the Christian gospel, Matthew, that Jesus arose and is alive today. Uh, so how, how can we be sure that he is alive? Well, as a Christian, I can say in sincerity that the Lord Jesus is a living reality to me personally. He is a real man that I know loves me and I love him in return. We enjoy a real living relationship with each other. I haven't seen him, but I do know him. And my greatest joys in life come from honoring him. And I look forward to getting to know him even better in days to come. Listeners, don't brush aside the truth of an old song's lyrics. He lives, Christ Jesus lives today. He walks with me and he talks with me along life's narrow way. He lives salvation to impart. You ask me how I know he lives. He lives within my heart. And friends, let me tell you, the best thing going in life is to personally know Jesus Christ as Lord huh. and to be known by him. I don't have to fear my sin being exposed to him. I know he knows it all, but he has still accepted me, forgiven me, and he is faithful to lead me. So there is great truth in that little saying, no Jesus, no peace. That is K-N-O-W Jesus, then K-N-O-W peace. And N-O Jesus, then N-O peace. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm so thankful that my experience has been the same, Matthew. Uh, the Lord Jesus is a living person in, in my life. And I guess what we're exploring today is, well, what is the evidence that Jesus Christ bodily rose again? So when we talk about knowing that he lives within our hearts, that's 100% true. And the reason it is true is that he is physically alive like any other physically alive person is physically alive. He's not only living in our hearts like a memory does, and, and this is more than just speaking of a loved one that we've lost and saying, well, you know, we'll always have them with us in our hearts. That's not what we're saying when we say Jesus is alive. He truly died, but then that body was revived and in that body, albeit with some changes, Jesus rose from the dead and was here on earth for 40 days, walking around, eating, talking with people. So this isn't reincarnation that we're talking about either. It's resurrection. Right, right. And the scriptures we started with in our first GNFY episode, How Could He Die For Me? Episode 102, they were from Paul's summary of the gospel at the beginning of 1 Corinthians 15, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures that he was buried, 
that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures and that he appeared. So there are four statements there in Paul's summary of God's good news for you and me. First, Christ died for our sins. Second, that he was buried. Third, he was raised the third day. And fourthly, he appeared. So the burial is proof that he really died. You don't bury people that aren't dead. And if you do, they don't stay wrapped up still for three days. And as the burial is proof of his genuine death, so his appearing is proof of his genuinely having been raised from the dead. But we'll get to that one in a moment. The New Testament actually presents four pieces of evidence in its historical record of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Well, the first one has got to be the empty tomb itself. Yes. Number one, the empty tomb. Number two, the undisturbed grave clothes. Number three, his appearances. And number four, the change in his disciples following his resurrection. But Mike, since you brought up number one, the empty tomb, why don't you expand on that now? Okay, sure. Uh, So each of the four gospel writers speaks of this. Luke is a very careful historian. And you can see that if you read his second volume, the book of Acts. He's a very careful historian. He, he puts it simply but beautifully in Luke 24. It says the woman came to the tomb. They went in, but did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And one of the interesting features of the four gospel writers is that they all testify that it was women who first found the tomb empty. Mary Magdalene was one of them. She was the first one to whom the risen Lord appeared. And in the culture of the day, a woman's testimony was not highly valued For example, it didn't even count in a court of law. So we might naturally think that the gospel writers would have been more careful to sort of gloss over that fact, to to adjust the story, to highlight Jesus' appearances to men. But that's the thing about the scriptures. They just speak the truth. It was truly women who first discovered the empty tomb. So that's what they recorded as happening. Yeah, and obviously the empty tomb speaks volumes. Most of our listeners, like you and me, Mike, we live in societies heavily influenced by a Christian heritage. But that obviously wasn't the case when Jesus died. In fact, neither of the dominant influences in Jerusalem at that time wanted a resurrected Jesus of Nazareth. The Jewish people mostly rejected Christ, especially the religious leaders. And the Romans who occupied Jerusalem didn't want some new preacher stirring up trouble and threatening to be a rival to their Lord and Savior, Caesar. My point is, if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, the authorities of the day could easily have proven it by producing his body, and they had good reason for wanting to do that. But they couldn't. Yeah, they couldn't because the tomb was empty. And in the early days of the church that followed Jesus' resurrection and ascension back to heaven, the authorities did try to squelch the Christian witness to the gospel, and at times in a brutally harsh way. But it, it would have been so easy for them if they just showed people his dead body. But the tomb was empty. They, they tried to say someone had stolen the body, but it was obviously a lie because there were Roman guards at the tomb and, and the stolen body conspiracy didn't hold much weight. Okay, and actually evidence number two deals with that too. It's the undisturbed grave clothes. John's account makes a big deal out of this in John chapter 20, verses three to nine. After Mary Magdalene tells Peter and John that the tomb is empty, Peter and John run to the tomb and John curiously writes that he saw the linen cloths lying there. Then he says Simon Peter went in and saw the linen cloths lying there. Then he speaks of the wrapping that had been around Jesus' head and again of the linen cloths lying there. Then it says that John believed. There was an important message in these linen cloths that had been wrapped around Jesus' dead body. If someone had stolen his body, they had two real potential methods of doing so. Number one, they could 
unwrap the body and hurry it away, in which case the linen grave clothes would be lying there in a mess. Or number two, more likely, they would have carried the body away while still wrapped up. But John is saying, obviously, neither of those two things happened. The grave clothes were lying just where they were as they were when they were around Jesus' body, but there was now no body in them. This wasn't the work of a thief. This was a powerful, supernatural miracle of bodily resurrection. Jesus had come through the grave clothes. Then the third piece of evidence you cited was his resurrection appearances. We stopped short about reading these in the first Corinthians reading a a couple minutes ago. But Paul writes, Christ was raised on the third day according to the scriptures and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to over 500 brothers and sisters at one time. Most of them are still alive. That last reference is particularly valuable. Over 500 people saw him at the same time. And that puts to rest any silly conspiracy ideas about the appearing merely being a hallucination. You know, five people, 500 people don't have the same hallucination at the same time. And Paul adds that detail about most of them are still alive. That is when, when he wrote 1 Corinthians, he was telling his readers, you can go and ask them. They'll give you their eyewitness testimony. Real people, many of them at different places at different times in the span of 40 days, saw the risen Lord. And to Thomas, who who doubted at first that it could really be Jesus, the Lord shows him the nail prints in his hand and the spear wound in his side. It was the same real physical human body that was on that cross. And Thomas looks at Jesus and rightly he says, my Lord and my God. Mm -hmm. That's an awesome scene. And it leads us into the final of these four pieces of evidence. And that is the change in the disciples. Before Jesus' resurrection, they were a very timid group, rather fearful. They had sided with Jesus Christ, who has now been rejected by the religious leaders, crucified as a criminal by the Romans. It was pretty dangerous to say this was the Messiah. Well, it remained dangerous after the Lord was risen, but his resurrection gave the disciples new courage. Now they they knew that he was the Messiah. And they went around preaching that Jesus is the risen Lord and Christ, even though they were beaten and imprisoned for it, eventually killed for it. But they knew this message had to be proclaimed because their rabbi was not just a rabbi. He was and is the Messiah, the Son of God. The resurrection proved it. Yeah, let's go there now, Matthew, and think a little bit about the implications of the resurrection. Sure. As I was just saying, the resurrection is proof that Jesus Christ is who he said he was, the Son of God. 1 Timothy 3.16 seems to be quoting an early Christian hymn or something like that, and it says, that in Jesus Christ, God was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit. That is, while the world condemned him as a blasphemer and as an insurrectionist, the Spirit of God vindicated his claims to sinless deity by raising him from the dead. He was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the Spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Romans 1.4. Admittedly, extraordinary claims require extraordinary evidence. Well, the Lord Jesus made extraordinary claims, absolutely, including this one in John 10, 18. I have authority to lay my life down and I have authority to take it up again. And he backed it up, friend. When someone rises from the dead, you need to listen to him. And Jesus Christ is that man. Excellent. And another consequence of the resurrection is that it shows Jesus Christ is the victor. He's the conqueror. His death wasn't a defeat. It was not his demise. 
but rather uh, it gave way to the resurrection where he, he overcame sin, he overcame death, he overcame our greatest enemies. And so Paul will write in Romans 4 and, and 25 about the Lord Jesus and how God raised him from the dead who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. Amen. And one more implication of the resurrection I'll touch on today. It means the world hasn't seen the last of Jesus Christ. He is going to return to judge the living and the dead. This is one of the reasons people want to deny Jesus' resurrection. If there is no resurrection of Christ and there is no reason to believe in the resurrection of the dead at all, there is no future judgment. We can live and sin however we feel like because the grave is the end of the journey. Not so. The resurrection of Jesus Christ proves otherwise, friend. There is a resurrection unto life and there is a resurrection unto judgment. The resurrection unto life is called the first resurrection. The scriptures say, Blessed and holy is the one who shares in the first resurrection. The second death has no power over them, but they will be priests of God and of Christ and they will reign with him for a thousand years. Revelation 20 verse 6. So the Lord Jesus is going to come back and set up a glorious kingdom of righteousness and peace. No famines in his coming kingdom. No wars breaking out in his coming kingdom. No corrupt politicians or greedy corporations holding sway in the world in his kingdom. It will be a wonderful, glorious kingdom ruled by the risen Lord Jesus Christ. Hey, all of our listeners, we want you to be part of that kingdom. We want you to have your place reserved in that kingdom. That's what comes through a relationship with the King of Kings, that is Jesus Christ. Which I would say is the fourth big implication, Matthew. We, uh, we gave four pieces of evidence from scripture. And so it's good to have four implications too. There are four implications. And the fourth one is that because he is risen and alive, the Lord Jesus can be known, trusted, loved. When, when a man asked Paul and Silas how he could have salvation, uh, the answer that he received was to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. That's Acts 16, 31. We don't place our faith and enter into a new relationship with someone who is dead, but with people who are alive. And the Lord Jesus is alive because he has risen triumphantly from the dead, never to die again. Amen. And friends, we know that claiming someone is risen from the dead is a fairly outrageous claim. We're not oblivious to that. We know we can't just pull a fast one on you and sneak past you onto other issues. Uh, this is a huge issue. The linchpin of the Christian gospel, we said, and the idea of Christ rising from the dead has always been outrageous. Some have mistakenly thought that it's only in more recent human history, our post-enlightenment era in which science has confirmed dead people don't rise. But long ago in Bible times, people might say, people fell for all sorts of crazy things back then. Well, that is clearly a false argument. Comment by C.S. Lewis about the virgin birth relates to this actually. I'm borrowing this line of argument now from N.T. Wright. But Lewis pointed out that the reason Joseph was worried about Mary being pregnant when he knew it wasn't his baby he, he was worried not because he didn't know where babies come from, but precisely because he did know where babies come from. It's the same with the resurrection of Jesus, right? Says people in the ancient world were incredulous when faced with the Christian claim because they knew perfectly well that when people die, they stay dead. And Jews of the day certainly weren't expecting a resurrected Messiah because they didn't expect Messiah to die in the first place. They didn't understand the need of substitutionary atonement that we spoke of in our last Good News For You episode. So it's not that people were just caught up in a bit of religious fervor and hoopla. The issue was there was truth that they didn't want to face. 
And I would say, Matthew, that this is still the main issue today. You know, the best explanation for the empty tomb, based on the evidence, is a risen Lord Jesus. But people know there's implications of that. There are truth claims that affect their life. And maybe they're just uncomfortable with those implications. Mm -hmm. uh, I know you know the name Gary Habermas, don't you, Mike? Yes, I do. Yeah, he's done a massive amount of research into the resurrection of Christ and, and whether there's good evidence for it. Right. And in their book, I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist, Norman Geisler and Frank Turek reference Habermas' work that shows scholars from across the ideological spectrum, ultra-liberals to strong biblical conservatives, and virtually all of them agree on some basic facts about Jesus' resurrection. They list 12 facts here. Let me cite a few of them that people across the spectrum agree as historical facts. Jesus died by Roman crucifixion. He was buried and the tomb was then empty. The disciples had experiences that they believed were actual appearances of the risen Jesus. As a result of that, they were transformed. The disciples' preaching of the resurrection took place in the same city where Jesus died and was buried shortly before. James, the brother of Jesus, was previously a skeptic, but converted when he believed he saw the risen Jesus. So there's all these facts. The issue then is, what is the best explanation of the evidence? Well, there are several alternative skeptical theories to explain that evidence you just cited. You know, uh, uh, theories like the appearances were hallucinations, the disciples maybe got confused and went to the wrong tomb. Maybe Jesus didn't actually die at all. Uh, the disciples stole the body. Or maybe the disciples were copying pagan myths of the day, you know. But honestly, no other theory really works when you analyze them. Now, to be fair, neither Mike nor I are historians. We are standing on the shoulders of others. But more than that, we are being carried on the shoulders of Christ. I don't really expect the evidence will convince all. People will debate the evidence. But we didn't say at the beginning that our faith hinged on the evidence we give you of the resurrection. It hinges on the event of the resurrection, of which I have no doubt. William Lane Craig says, ultimately then, we must come to grips not with historical evidence, important as this may be, but with the living Lord himself. And we're so glad and thankful to belong to him. We know we'll meet him one day and be welcomed into heaven. What about you? You will also meet him. We all have an appointment with the risen Christ, but then what? Matthew, as you just point this episode and, and this truth to our hearts like that, I'm thinking of two scholars that I think you and I both really appreciate, David Gooding and John Lennox. John Lennox is still alive and still uh, defending the truth of the resurrection. But remember David Gooding would often tell people at this point that there's an experiment that they can perform, right? And he would so cite words of Jesus, like in John 6, where Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never hunger. Whoever believes in me will never thirst. And David Gooding would say, hey, there's a way that you can run a little experiment and see for yourself the truth that Jesus Christ is alive and he, he is who he, he said he is. And it's this, you simply take the bread, you take him, you receive him, you believe in him. He promises that if you do, he will satisfy that eternal spiritual hunger you have. He'll satisfy your thirst. And so we just encourage you to hear those words from Christ, whoever comes to me. We'll never hunger. Whoever believes in me will never thirst. And, and to take him up on his offer, take him up on his word, receive him as your savior. 
Amen. Thanks so much for tuning in. May the Lord bless you all.